welcome everybody once again to the Liberation Frequency, brought to you live from our cybernetic studio somewhere in the metaverse. It is 2023, that's approximately a zillion years since the last time you heard my dulcet tones. And with me in the studio today, I am joined by Dan Collicott. Hi. Benice Ravshi. Hi. And Imran Falibidibdib. <laughs> Hello. I always worry people can't pronounce my surname, but you nailed it. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so it's been a long time since we recorded, but the reason we're doing this today is because it's been exactly 10 years since we did our landmark zombie apocalypse survival guide. And given that the whole world has been through a number of different apocalypses in that time, I might be an exaggeration, but I think we all know what I'm talking about. We figured it was time to just do a little bit of a revisit to the things that we declared 10 years ago. Um, But before we do that, we are going to do some big ups. Okay, it's been a long time. But what I would like to do is big up all the people in the past who have ever contributed to Liberation Frequency. That's the Liberated Irregulars, all the various journalists and people we've interviewed, all the people who stuck with us that entire time, um, and all the different hosts we've had, everyone from TJ to Gavin to Les to to Shane, everyone. Big up yourselves. Hi. Hi, everybody. Um... Just a quick once round. It's been a while. Lots of things have changed. Benice got married. I did. Dan grew a beard. (laughs) Imran got a new laptop and has been to the cinema at least twice in that time. Oh, and has had some children. Imran, have you had any any new children since we last spoke? Just the original seven. Just... Just the original, original seven. Just... Good, fine. Does that make you Snow White? Oh, no, no, that's not Snow White. Uh, wrong Disney. Dan, have you grown any new beard since we last spoke? Because it uh... looks like you might have an extra one coming out on the left side of your face. <laughs> um, my existing beard has got longer, but that's about it. I mean, my beard is coming along really well. Middle age. <laughs> yeah. Middle age for women is just a great time for beard growth. Yeah. Oh, and I, and I forgot to mention, I'm, I I fled England and I now live in Canada. You did, so you son of how, a... How about that, eh? Right. <laughs> Hopefully no one in Canada's listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Zombie apocalypse. Now, first of all, the whole world went zombie crazy. Not long after we did our apocalypse survival guide, I think in 2013... Um, it was just starting, really. It was just picking up. And then since then, we've had zombie everything, I think. Um, and that sort of informed people a lot more. Um, there's been a lot of both high-quality and low-quality media out there. Um, but, of course, as we all know, in 2019, we had the pandemic, and we saw firsthand how people react to a world-threatening situation which I think kind of informs us a little bit of some of the choices we made in our Apocalypse Survival Guide. So before we go in back into the Survival Guide, I just wanted to ask everybody, how do you feel about zombies in the media and their portrayal on, uh, on TV and in film now? Uh, let's start with uh, Bernice. Well, I mean, at the mo- currently, like zombies are still fictional, um, so I, I don't think that my perception of them on in television or films has changed. I definitely, my perception, and I will get to this later, I'm sure, my perception of how we as a society would respond to um, a zombie apocalypse has definitely, I think, changed post-pandemic. Um, but the zombies themselves remain um, unaffected. You know, I'm quite happy with how they're portrayed. Um I did, I did have one, if I may, like funny story from the pandemic, um, which was before the pandemic struck, Shane and his partner and myself and my wife uh, were, were playing the game Pandemic, Pandemic Legacy, which is played over several installments over many, many months. Um, and the, it's a zombie game, right? The pandemic creates zombies. 
um and we, we had to stop because it just it just got far too dark and far too realistic and we've we had to leave off the game for a couple of years and then pick it up again do you think it would change your gameplay no we're still playing we haven't finished it yet dan what are the good and bad zombie shows that have graced the world since our recording so yeah i mean i think there's been less zombie films but there has been i mean the walking dead feels like it's got about six shows now uh because it's the main ones ended there was already um two spin-offs before that one ended which haven't ended or one of them i think has and now we're getting about three more spin-offs but there's been a lot of um there's been a bit a lot of zombie TV, uh, obviously the the latest one in vogue is The Last of Us, which um, I do quite enjoy because on one of our other podcasts, I don't know if it was the Zombie Survival Guide, we discussed the whole um, the science behind cordyceps. Yes, it was the Zombie Survival Guide. Yeah, it was a zombie. Yeah, which which traditionally I think back then it, it was where fungus in the ants. Yes, and wasps and things mm-hmm. like that. So it was kind of very insect-based. So to see that, um, I guess, I mean, we, we kind of knew that it was in the game, but to see it brought to life on TV um, was quite cool. There, there's been a lot of um, uh, Japanese and Korean um, mm. zombie-related uh, TV shows. So... It's it's still going strong. I think there's less films. There's less horror films than there was. Well, what was that Netflix one? The one set in uh, Las Vegas, Army of the Dead, is the most army. recent one, isn't it? Yes. And um, an army of thieves, which is the setup for that. Um, I saw that the comic book I Zombie got a TV show, mm, which I believe is filmed down the road from me. Interesting. I tried to watch the first few episodes, but. I mean, I also tried to read the comic. It didn't didn't capture my imagination. So, so just just while we're talking about uh, Last of Us, I have watched only one episode of it. I watched it last night actually because I figured I should before we start talking about zombies. Um, and what I found interesting in that is that it, I think it does the whole outbreak thing very well, but it doesn't linger on it, and then it just rockets forwards twenty years, um, and it doesn't really there's no i think in a lot of zombie stuff like the 28 days later and everything there's always this hope that we're going to come pull through it and we're going to survive and they don't really entertain that in the last of us certainly not the beginning of the series anyway um which i found quite an interesting approach um it comes down to i think what we always knew the problem isn't the zombies, it's how it's everybody else. Which, boy, did we find out during the real pandemic. Exactly, which which will get me to my next point, except I must not forget about Imran the Assassin, who's lurking in the shadows of this podcast. Imran, how do you feel about zombie media that's been, uh, that's graced the world since we last met? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, there was, I think you guys almost touched on it. Someone nearly said it, I think, but the Korean, uh, all of us are dead. Uh, that was on Netflix, which was set in a school. Um, that was uh, a fantastic uh, kind of um, uh, telling of, of, of that story. I thought it was incredibly visceral and uh, uh, really kind of, yeah, um, uncomfortable to watch show at times, but just a really uh, quite a brilliant kind of take on the zombie genre, which um, I think, uh, I don't know if anyone else saw that. I think Dan saw that one. Um, I know Absolutely, about, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really fantastic. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. Zombies just one of those things that just, can, <laughs> no pun intended, but just has continual life. Um, and I think it's, um, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's a very, uh, I think, as you just sort of said, Dennis, there's, there's something about zombie genre, which is never about... How can we remedy this? Because that is not often a notion that's explored in kind of films or TV. It's really about how can we survive this uh, and as individuals or as a small group. And it's a very sort of defeating kind of um, uh, situation or scenario to be in. Uh, and it's it's quite, um, yeah, it, it, it's something that just keeps audiences and filmmakers and game makers and TV makers and comic book makers keep 
you know, mining that kind of uh, field. And it's it's fascinating that they and, continue and to do And dare I so. add podcast makers? Yes, of course, yes. Um, <laughs> but there's an endless fascination with it, which is uh, which is interesting. All right, then. So that brings us more to the present and the reality. What has the what have we learned over the last few years? about survival what is the key thing if you could walk away one walk away from the last three or four years of pandemic about survival what would that be uh Bernice for you I it's hard to sort of capture it in a really concise way but it would definitely be something around not being able to really trust that society would pull together and and kind of move in in one cohesive direction um, in the face of a crisis and having learned now that in actual fact it just people there's going to be people across the spectrum with different interpretations of, of what's happening and that they will act accordingly um, and that some of those things will make sense and some of them really really will not and that won't make any difference and so I don't know do you know what I mean like you kind of have this idea of a crisis from films and the government it's like this is what we're gonna do and everybody do this and everyone's like okay but in reality that's not what happened at all mm. how about you dan um i think it proves that 50 percent of society have a little bit of common sense and caution and, and try to actually accept uh, advice or at least you know, oh, on the side of caution, a 50% of society just does not give a fuck. It's like, oh, the sun's out. So if the sun's out, I'm just going to ignore exactly what scientists or government say, you know, have said or have advised us. So it, it kind of was quite polarizing, uh, which is quite interesting, like following Brexit, that we then had um, a pandemic, which just seemed to divide society straight down the middle. I think that kind of goes hand in glove, really, with what Benice has just said as well, that society couldn't, you had one group of people doing the right or right thing, doing the thing that they were supposed to do, depending on which side of the fence you stand on, and another group of people who didn't. And uh, I think what surprised me in that is uh, how quickly people were prepared to discard the word of experts. And... You could say, and you know, to the point where they're challenging, well, are they really experts? And I always say, you know, like with the mask wearing deniers, I say to the, to, I say to any mask wearing denier, the next time you or a loved one is in surgery in a hospital, tell the surgeon to take his mask off. I dare you, because you're telling me masks don't work, and you wouldn't do that, would you? But when it's for your own convenience, suddenly it's lies. And that's the bit that amazed me, how people were prepared to ignore the obvious and bend the truth. As you say, the sun's shining. I want to go out in the sun. I don't give a shit about my own safety or anybody else's. I'm just going to declare that it's fine. And that surprised me. Um, Imran, what about you? Well, I mean, you live in the zombie heartland of England where anyway. the apocalypse has been raging for 50 years. Um, and and what, what I've subsequently learned is, I guess from the last couple of years, was kind of our ability or need to adapt. Um, and I think in, in many ways, we um, in ways that go sort of beyond the, the main focus of this conversation, but in terms of whether it was work practices or schooling or classes that you did or how you met people or your personal routines and any kind of interaction everything had to change from how you shopped um as well and you know the most significant thing we learned over here about survivor was how much of it depended on toilet paper and um, the subsequent need to own it as much as possible. Um, but it was, yeah, that was kind of just the way that we've adapted. And so many things, I think, in our lives over here, you know, have, have changed as a result of that. And, um, yeah, I think in terms of that, um, just what I've learned about survival is just the way people have, to, have had to adapt to it. For me, one of the things that surprised me, and this is more after after the whole pandemic had died down and looking at on a more global level living here in canada and having traveled a little bit is how tribal the world is um and the differences from one region to another with the way people responded to the prospect of survival and when i say tribal what i mean is like you can see in regions like 
most people in Canada thought the same way about it. Most people in Britain seem to think the same way about it. Most people in the USA seem to think the same way about it. Almost as if those those lines, those borders defined everything. Um, and that surprised me. I kind of figured on a global scale, people would think, maybe, maybe I'm naive for thinking that everyone in the world would think the same way. But it's remarkable how different, like, you know, our lockdown procedures here went on for ages, way longer than they did in the UK, and nobody seemed to mind. Whereas in the UK, it was outrageous that you couldn't go to the pub or go down the park. I mean, just just to add to that quickly, it, you you saw a lot of different countries and people across the world come together, especially to to create vaccines. And um, I don't know, I think it's the first time probably maybe in our lifetimes, that we saw uh, people put differences aside and borders aside and actually try and work together. Um, and then, then it ended and then we went back to uh, hating everyone. You know, <laughs> Russian, the Russian-Ukraine war started and it, it felt like business as usual. Now we're all at war and we all hate each other. There's a new Cold War. But during that period, there was just a moment. I know, know our government were being bumbling idiots throughout most of it but it did feel like okay we we were acting as one as a world and that was unique at any point did you or anyone around you view this as mass extension was there a point where you thought oh my god this is the end of the world or did you always think that we were going to get on top of it imran I, I think I did. I think at first, and I, I really hope this doesn't come off insensitive in any way, but I think when we officially got the word that the schools were closed and everything was, you know, we were officially entering a lockdown. Yeah, I, again, I, I hope this doesn't sound insensitive, but I think we all had a bit of, wow, this is really exciting. Like we're just staying at home and what's, what is, you know, this will be, I think we initially thought it would be like two weeks. I think the schools initially said it would just be a couple of weeks and we thought this is cool. We get to just stay in and, binge movies and stuff like that and that first lockdown went on quite a while the second one nearly broke us all here um because the amount of schooling that we had and there there's five years between uh, my two so they were full day lesson plans and my wife and I both work and it just seemed like cases were rising and people weren't listening to it and uh, yeah I I think we got we all the second one over here which uh, can you correct my dates, but I think it was sort of from December to April, May of 2021, 20, I believe. That that lockdown was was pretty brutal and it kind of felt like it was something that maybe we were going to be in for a significantly longer period. So just to, put, to, to hold a mirror to that, over here, it was from December 2020 to April 2022. We were on lockdown for 18 months, six of which we had an 8 p.m. curfew. Wow. Right? So, like, like Britain didn't even make it yeah, yeah. a fraction of the way what we had to deal with here. Yeah. People just got on with it. Like, this time last year, we were still in, we were still in curfew. Um, so, I mean, I didn't think it was the end of the world. But what, and the reason I asked that question is because I felt that a lot of people were only really concerned with the here and now. And no one was thinking of the future. What does this mean for the future? Everyone just expected life to go back to normal. And, it, and it's even now it hasn't. What do you think? How about you, Bernice? Did you so, ever at any point think it was the end? I never thought it was the end. I remember listening to a, um, a podcast short series years ago before the pandemic by Josh from Stuff You Should Know about... Um, existential threats to humanity and he does like five or six episodes and each one is a different existential threat and one of them was pandemics um and so I think the main thing for me was I kept reflecting on that and thinking oh okay so one of these things is actually happening like what's next a meteor hitting the planet or nuclear war so it it, I didn't think it was the end I did think it was going to change things for us as a global population which it has um and it did it it weirdly by association made a lot of those other existential threats feel a lot more real um Mm. and in that podcast he talks about things like 
the fact that uh, uh, is it measles? There's basically there's research labs around the world that are not supposed to have stores of certain incredibly virulent diseases, but vials have gone missing or like, you know, things like during the Cold War, the Russians used to have seven vials of this thing. And then there was then after the USSR fell, you know, they were never accounted for or whatever and just stuff like that. And I think this pandemic made a lot of those things seem a lot more actually sort of like potential risks than they did pre-pandemic. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And interesting, you mentioned uh, like asteroid meteorite, because I want to just talk about the Netflix movie, uh, um, Don't Look Up in a moment. Mm. But first, Dan, how? what about you? How did you, did you ever think this was the end? Um, I mean, not, not the end of life as we know it, but I did think, because there were so many mutations of this virus, it seemed to, it seemed to start off, uh, I think it was more virulent, more, um, what's the word, stronger, and it, it caused a lot more fatalities at the start. But I think because of we live in this information age and it was global, it was like, okay, they think they found another variant in such and such a country. And it kept switching from country to country and all this different information about different variants and a lot of what you would expect, the life cycle of um, a COVID virus is that they get weaker, that the, the herd immunity and all these kind of science that, you know, you, 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 your body or we as humans learn to live with it. But there was a lot of information saying, oh, no, no, there's another strain and that strain is actually far worse because a lot of the strains were becoming um, more transmittable. So we knew that and we were like, okay, so suddenly it, it, even as lockdown ended, I think the kind of the versions of COVID that still exist seem to be, you know, if, if you're near anyone with, with that form of COVID that, that can infect something like 30 or 40 people very easily, but it's just not as strong. It, it doesn't cause as much problems as previous versions. So yeah, I mean, that's quite a long answer, but yeah, I, I was really worried that we, we were going to get this killer mutation that was just going to cause endless problems so i didn't i couldn't see a version of this where we 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 learned to live with it and we just got on with it i thought that life would we would we would survive but life would change fundamentally and and it kind of has but I, I i think nowhere near as badly as i thought mm. it could get and, and let's be honest if a killer mutation was going to start anywhere it wouldn't just be in the uk it'd probably be in staines or um you know stratford or wherever the hell place Iman lives. I'm very um, careful with my virus samples here in Staines. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, okay, so I had one sorry, one no. more thought just in response to Dan. Um, I remember uh, hearing. I might even have been in the the podcast. I was talking about the fact that viruses tend that tend to be either uh, very easily transmissible, transmissible, or very deadly. But they're then almost never both but it's the the really bad ones are when you get one which suddenly manages to do both and like that was probably during the pandemic i wouldn't say it kept me up at night but it was like as you're hearing about all those different variants um and they would often be like oh you know yes this one is is more transmissible but but it's you know it's weaker or whatever and i just kept thinking i really hope that that like one in a million super like super powerful one doesn't come but about isn't it Denise, isn't it the case, I, and again, this is something else I heard, that the very deadly super transmissible ones are useless to themselves because like Ebola, they spread fast, but they kill so fast they don't have time to transmit. So those those really highly deadly ones where you get it and you're dead within 24 hours will kill themselves off faster than they can spread through a population. And part of the problem with the first strain of COVID is it was like up to 10 days before it was even visible in people. Um, which is plenty good time for you to spread around the world. I mean, that, that, that may be true, like from a from a successful virus perspective. But right. then look at something like the Black Death. It's like that that could, I suppose, arguably, I would imagine, fall into that category. Like so efficient and so deadly that it was eventually yeah. just going to sort of burn out. But it took what is it like one third the population of Europe with it or something? So yeah, like, yeah, 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 one third the population of Europe. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. 
How do you define success for a virus? <laughs> In our original Zombie Apocalypse Survival Guide, we had a set of questions which we sent out to our select group of people known as the Liberated Irregulars, and they gave us the answers we discussed those. And I'm not going to go through them all again, but some of them I feel need a revisit. Um, just because I feel like some of the answers will be different now. Um, and we haven't polled the Liberation Irregulars for this, this time. We're just going to discuss them amongst ourselves. So I'm going to start with our question, which was titled, You Can't Save Them All. You find out on the news that a virus has gone airborne and it's causing the dead to rise and feed on the living. You have 24 hours to decide what to do. Who would you try and save and where would you go? And remember, all of this is in the context of what we've learned over the last 10 years. So let's start with Imran. Ah, right. So as I've said, I have, I have, I have two little ones. So I imagine I might go try and help them. Maybe. <laughs> you might go and try it and help them. It depends where they are. Uh, depends no, where they are. Uh, no i would obviously uh grab them but then i'm kind of a bit lost because i i asked this to my wife and i'm i i love a hypothetical but i overthink a hypothetical so i you know i beat it to death so i said to her where where would what would we do in this situation and she said i would we got to head to to the country we need space and i'm like great what does that mean like is there a place you know is there a house you're aware of? Because if you find that there's a, a farmhouse completely in a big open space, chances are people are living in it. So are we going to be housemates or are we kicking them out? Um, so, I mean, I subscribe to that theory of driving away from the populated area, but I have absolutely no idea where I'm going. And I'll end up, in, as Dennis says, in Stoke-on-Stains or Hastings. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I don't actually have a definitive answer in terms of a realistic thing about where, who I know, where they are, where I'd go. I, I, it's a bit open. But yes, we're getting in the car and driving away. And you, so basically, you're saving your children. And you're going to drive away. Yes. Okay. That's that's lit, that's as far as I've got. Okay, Dan. <laughs> so I mean. I don't drive, so I'd have to try and get on public transport. Taxi! <laughs> get an Uber. When's the, the next bus to the countryside? <laughs> Ask your zombie driver for the timetable, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this is kind of a problem because, I mean, I, I live in East London and the logic, because there's no point in me turning back towards the country. I might as well head towards the Essex coast. But I would have to really, you know, see the warning signs early enough to be able to go through public transport to try and get out of a the pop well the city and b to the coast and try and actually leave Britain. But yeah, I mean the odds aren't very good. <laughs> I mean you're not going to be able to do that by foot. I mean I, I guess I have a bike. Um, <laughs> No. <laughs> you might find that driving an automatic car isn't actually that hard when everyone's panicking and you don't have to worry about the road rules anyway. That's a great this, point. This is true. Yeah, so, but where would I, I mean, I'd have to like steal. I do yeah. know how to drive. I do know how to drive. I did take lessons. Oh, I'm there you go. You'll be fine. <laughs> I just have to steal my neighbor's car and get out of it. But I do look forward to having a WhatsApp group that is like uh, called called the, the Zombie Apocalypse Escape Group. And then just, oh, hi, guys. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we're thinking of getting an Uber to uh, Overground towards Essex. Anyone fancy coming? Anyone got anyone got any uh, weapons? You can have ride share. We'll split the fare. <laughs> can, can we get one of those, like, bicycle things with the beer keg in the middle where you, like, pedal and it goes all the and you're just drinking pints? But don't you, think, don't you think that even in, because we saw this during the pandemic, there's always going to be some little guy who wants to carry on being an Uber driver who doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you know, there's always going to be, or some illegal minicab who's just going to pull up. You're running away with your possessions. You've got your kid, Imran's got his kid in his arms. You're dragging <laughs> your wife along beneath him. And suddenly this guy pulls up really slowly and goes, minicab? <laughs> <laughs> God bless that man. <laughs> So, Bernice, what about you? You've got uh, who would you try and save, and where would you go? 
Um, so I'm in a similar situation uh, to Imran in the sense that, I mean, I would save my dog and, uh, but I don't really know where, where I would go because, you know, it's all very, I mean, I, I agree, like you definitely want to get out of crowded populated areas for obvious reasons. Um, but I don't have anywhere particular in mind. I think I sent you all a link to a property listing for an offshore. Um, oh yes, that's right. Yeah. What was it? It was like an offshore platform. It's like a, like an oil platform or a yeah. gun emplacement platform. I think it was something, something military in the past, but yeah. which sort of appealed to me. But um, all the same, I'm I'm like you, Emma, and I overthink these things. And all the same <laughs> problems. Like I'm like, what if there's people already there? Surely anybody who knows about that place would be thinking of going there. Do I fight them? Like what, what, like I'd, I'd surely lose. I don't know how to like work a boat to get from the mainland to that thing. So, yeah. So B for me, being now living in North America, uh, a 45 minute drive from the U S border, my, um, my view on this has completely changed because I've learned a lot of things over the last few years. First of all, there are a lot of people in this part of the world with high-powered sniping rifles. I am not heading out into the country. <laughs> <laughs> I would be dead from a distance. Plus, it, going out into the woods and here, like we have lynx, bobcat, fet wolves, bears, snakes, murder hornets, you name it out there, right? So you're not safe out in, out in the country. So I wouldn't do that. What I would probably do is where Montreal is situated, people may not know this, but Montreal is an island in much the way, same way that Manhattan is an island. Um, I would head to one of the little islets or one of the little islands on the St. Lawrence River. There's loads of little tiny, it's like a little archipelago that runs up to Lake Ontario. And that would be a safe bet, I think, getting across water, because as we established, we don't believe that zombies swim very well. We're not sure about this, but I would I would try and get somewhere which was surrounded by water, which I think would be quite defensible. Hang on, um, hang on, hang on. So they don't need to swim because as long as there's a tide that will take them somewhere. But I see. I don't think they'd be bothered. I think they would just stay on land. But I, anyway, that would. But a lot of other people, I think, you could defend that way. My, I would sort of lean towards going out to finally getting across water, basically, as as a as a safe haven. Uh, in that regard. And as for who I'd try and save, well, obviously, um, I would obviously try and save Gavin um, and uh, and my cat. And uh, that's that's what we would do. So, okay, so this leads, to, this leads nicely to the next question, refuge. You're in a typical town, city, with all it has to offer. Which building do you choose to take refuge in and why? Now, my original answer to this was based on the more classic supernatural zombie was that the most obvious place would be the graveyard because they've all gotten up and left, <laughs> right? But then I think I went for the garden center because you've got a nice selection of both tools, weapons, you can grow plants. And of course, that's where I'm going to get my motor mower, which I still stick by. Um, so, and I don't think too much has changed except that out here in North America, you have these massive retail outlets and places like walmart and costco and places like that which um and 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 huge shopping malls so but that's where everybody else is going to go to so so i think i'd still try and find a smaller local probably a garden shop or a hardware store and and hold up hold up in there that's uh, that's me um dan what about you um, I mean, I, I I pretty much agree with you. I mean, there aren't as many places in the UK like that, but there are still, I guess, um, giant supermarkets that you could go to. So I, w- I would probably think about that. But I do worry that, that a lot of people would do the same thing. So short term, it would be good. But long term, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that if that's going to be workable because once the food gets pillaged and stolen you're kind of you're you're left in a very open space where if the dead get in you're you're in trouble but i've always i've always liked the idea of of finding like a really modern high rise uh the only problem with really modern high rises is is you still you know the the lift is going to stop working and you've still got to get out you know you've still got to get down and zombies usually can climb stairs 
So, uh, yeah. Have quite... you seen the movie High Rise? Which is a dystopian Tom sort of... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that where, you know, it ends up splitting into different class societies in within the high rise and it all goes to shit. That, that put me off the idea of being in a high rise uh, building. If, any, if you haven't seen it, then I, that's highly recommend. It's a very strange film. Um, uh, but it's definitely worth a watch. So, uh, Imran, what about you? So, um, I'm going to echo a lot of what you guys have said, but, um, I like the idea of hitting up places to, for lack of a better term, scavenge, uh, whether it's food at supermarket, weapons, garden centers, is a great place, hardware store is a great place, uh, to kind of scoop up as much as possible. But I wouldn't stay there, A, as you've said, because a lot of people would be going there, but also the idea of big spaces, several points of entry, I feel like I need to know who's in, where, who's coming and going, etc. So I think I like the idea, not of a high rise, but of something maybe not higher than like a two, maybe three story, like flats or or like maisonette or something like that, because I want to be able to like barricade the downstairs so zombies can't come up, but I need to be able to get out. So I'm thinking like a rope ladder out or like tie the sheets together to, to, you know, if, if I am subsequently swarmed or invaded. So I, I need to be able to get out, ideally get back in if need be. But the idea of being a bit high in a, in a nondescript place so I can get in and out. Do you, and do you feel that you could say like from a second story window or a third, do you feel that you can throw your children from that height and they'd survive? Well, no, I would. <laughs> I, one of the things I would be getting was a bouncy castle. So to throw oh. them onto. No, I, the plan would be for them to stay and I would go out for whatever I would need to be getting, whether it's food or, or whatever. Right. But, because. Um, one thing that you just said there made me realize one thing we learned during the pandemic was the first thing people will do is make a charge for the toilet paper and the yeast. Um, (laughs) Even the people who don't know how to bake, you know? Um, So I'm, yeah, like, you know, ideas about going to the supermarket are obviously clearly, we know that's a bad idea, except, and I don't know if this happened in the UK, but over here we discovered very early on, that the Chinese supermarkets, nobody was going to them because the pandemic had started in China and people are so <laughs> fundamentally racist that they wow. didn't go. So we just went to the Chinese supermarket and we got everything we needed. Literally, people across the street are lining up for toilet paper. And you go to the Chinese supermarket and there's loads. Brilliant. It's unbelievable how racist people get. Anyway, um, uh, Bernice? So... I agree with all of your points that you've made, and it's making me wonder if maybe <clears throat> we need to think outside the outside the square here. Um, what about a tank? <laughs> yes, living in a tank. Living in a tank. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, oh, or, brilliant. that is genius. Or like, if a tank. I mean, I'm gonna. I, I get that a tank is hard for a civilian to get get their hands on. Maybe less so during the zombie apocalypse, but still. Um, so what about then if you tone it down and you say like a van? So yes, obviously it's it's there's a higher chance of it getting turned into a death trap, but it's also as long as you keep it in good working order, it's movable. You know, you could take it out into the country or back into like urban areas to go scavenging for stuff. Um, you know, you could have yeah, a, a you could have I like a, great, a rooftop uh, like. What are they called? Like a skylight on the window? What's that called in a car? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you could get up onto the roof. Sunroof. Sunroof. Sunroof, thank you. If you had to, you could also put like a, a hatch in the in the floor so you could get down and under it if you needed to. I, I, you know, I admit that if you're surrounded by a thousand angry zombies, you're probably more or less fucked. Would, but <laughs> Would the solution be a security core van? Yeah, could be. I, I was thinking more of a Winnebago, like a really big Winnebago. I don't. I don't, wouldn't want anything too big, you know, because I think that's going to be unwieldy. So I'd probably sacrifice personal space for maneuverability and the ability to like hoof it away from any given situation. 
Right. Because now that I think about it, a security core van would be reinforced and bulletproof, right? It's got those little special little opening things so you can put money in the side so you could interact with people on the outside. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've, they're highly engineered, like engine-wise, so they can kick it down the street, you know? Yeah. Um, plus they're full of money, which is helpful. Probably not helpful. So it's a nomadic lifestyle, though, isn't it? I mean, you are constantly having to keep moving. Right, exactly. But then, so my first instinct has always been similar to your like the supermarket or or whatever but then I thought again like you've already pointed out people will have already gone to those places and like rinse them like it's not like you'd be unusually lucky to be able to come across and secure a fully stocked supermarket you know and if you could then okay great if you can defend it but chances are that you wouldn't find that is the ideal place in our modern age an Amazon warehouse (laughs) Do you think people all have thought of that? Just don't eat the gummy beers. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so this actually, keep moving, Imran, is actually the, was the name of the next question. You're trying to get away from places with high populations. Your choices to get the F out of town are the sewers, the underground railroad system, the open road, or some other way. And I just want to lead this with what I said before. Being in North America, I think the open road is a very bad idea. Um, Dan, what's your method for getting out of town? So this is going to be controversial. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I don't think I would actually leave town. Um, okay. The reason being most people, okay, th- there's going to be a phase where everyone gets infected and everyone starts getting a bit bitey and therefore all the kind of chaos <laughs> takes place. If you can wait that out, if you can actually get to the point where everyone who's turned is going to turn and then everyone who's going to flee has fled. Because traditionally, population of zombies, they're always going to be attracted to where more people are so they can spread the virus. So they're going to start to leave the city centers. So if you can actually wait it out in the hope that there is some kind of migration as people leave and the zombies are going to follow, then the best place to be is actually in the place, you know, in, in the city or the town or the whatever that you know. So, so are you saying that you'd, you know, you'd hang out somewhere like a public library because zombies probably can't read? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I just hunker down somewhere that was good, knowing, knowing that it would be temporary, knowing that it wouldn't be accessible, knowing that I don't necessarily have to worry about, you know, food for the next six months, Some, somewhere that, that was not easily accessible. And as you said, not that not a lot of people are going to. Um, I think a library is a, a really good example, Dennis. Okay, so uh, Bernice, what's your method for getting out, getting the fuck out of town? So even in the UK, where people don't tend to own high-powered rifles, I still agree that the main road is problematic. And the reason for that is, and I think this is something that The Walking Dead explored quite well, is that in the end... Yes, obviously the zombies are very dangerous and problematic, but it's other humans that you really need to be careful of. And um, let's face it, if society breaks down and it's just a Mad Max scenario out there, the highways are going to be covered in absolute nutters looking to do you harm. Um, That said, the other options don't really appeal to me either. I, I wonder if, because we don't have so many like predators in the in the wilds here maybe taking sort of the scenic route might be a good option try to stay mm. under the cover of of like forest and tree yeah i don't that think sounds like a sensible plan yeah. i don't think in i England. would yeah i don't think i would want to walk up the middle of the street that's for sure i think right. another not i wouldn't be so worried about zombies i'd be worried about other people okay imran what about you what's your chosen route out of town I I wouldn't echo everything um, uh, Benisa said, I, but I didn't have a solution, so I would just be like six feet behind you. If that's okay, that's you know, fine. the route. That so so your solution is to perfect. follow Benice. It's pretty much yeah. I, I mean, I, I will oh, drive to where her tank is parked and just follow. Her <laughs> from <laughs> there. Um, but it's yeah. I mean, of of the three things that were pitched, I I would I would begrudgingly pick the open road because me and a sewer, I'm just not gonna progress very far i would imagine the underground is going to be heaving with uh zombies so Mm. i'm thinking open road but yes so you want to be able to see people coming but then of course as you've said they can see you coming so um 
Yes, I'll, I'll, my answer of the three is open road, but it would require a bit more strategizing than okay. simply saying that. So tools of the trade, uh, the go bag, an essential in any apocalypse situation, five items that you have to have ready at all times. And this is something that I've had good reason to rethink, obviously, in the wake of the pandemic and in the wake of getting older. So my go bag, very definitely, if I could, five items. Number one, can opener. Number two, a large bottle or, or um, uh, a Tupperware full of assorted medications, antibiotics, painkillers, antacids, multivitamins, etc. Number three, sterilizing tablets. Number four, toilet wipes. And number five, and this is the most important thing of all, reading glasses. Mm. Because I can't read shit 10 years later without them. And that would never have been on my list 10 years ago, but that is what's on my list now. What about uh, what about you, Imran? Your go bag, what's in it? Multivitamins, would that yeah, be? Yeah, man, because multivitamins, because you might not be able to get a good source of food. You might be living off like, if let's say, for instance, you find a source of like canned beans. You just live off beans, right? That's <laughs> yeah. not going to do you vitamin-wise, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Uh, that's a good point. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll grab some as well then. That's a whole other <laughs> way, I imagine. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm part of me is thinking my bag might be a bit overcrowded with weapons more than anything. Um, but, oh, go uh, bag doesn't include weapons. This is no, just okay, your then. grab okay. it and run bag, right? Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah, m- much, much the same. I, uh, obviously, uh, paracetamols cause I, I go through those like, um, like breath mints. Uh, so I'd need a fair amount of those, uh, just to get what, breath mints or the, paracetamols, uh, paracetamols. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a bit, um, my luxury item is going to have to be a, a, a jar of, of, um, Nescafe, uh, as well. I don't know how I'm going to boil the water, but it would be my, my eternal hope. <laughs> Coffee. <laughs> Collect rainwater and, uh, and try and mix it. That's my luxury item. Um, yeah, that's about that. I guess okay, I can Bernice? open it, but a lot of them open now themselves, don't they? Beneath? They have the rings. So five items, you know, when you try to boil it down, that's quite limiting. So I've gone with I've gone with antiseptic, just a generic mm-hmm. like Dettol oh, cool. or I don't know, whatever. Um, I'm stealing your idea, Dennis, of the water purification tablets. That seems like a good one. Um, pocket knife, um, which would ideally have, you know, can opener, knife, right, okay. like screwdriver, right. that kind of stuff on it. Okay. Um, Hang on. So you mean a Swiss Army knife? Or a Leatherman. Yes, that's what like I that, mean. Yeah. Thank you, Swiss Army yeah. knife. Um, water bottle, because I can't think of anything worse than discovering a source of water and having nothing to put it in. Mm, that's very good call, yeah. Um, and well. rope, just a just a length of multi-purpose rope. Keep it in the bedroom, Bernice. Yeah, well, you'd know. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <laughs> multi-purpose um, okay. rope? Yeah, I mean... What are the, what are the purposes? <laughs> well, you can use it to make a tent if you have fabric. Which isn't on my list, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, if you need to climb into or out of a building, right? um, I just feel like rope is a handy thing to have. Also, I would get to like put it jauntily, you know, like around my shoulder, you know, crossways across (laughs) my chest, which would make me look like I knew what I was doing. It's good look. It's a good look. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Okay, Dan, go bag. Well, I mean, I think you've kind of covered everything uh, between you all, but I, I would add to that uh, a sewing kit, both for repairing clothes and sewing you up if you got oh, that's very yeah, good, yeah, injured, yeah. Um, uh, I think we've said antibiotics, hadn't we? Um, I think a Swiss Army knife is great. I mean, if we if you didn't have a Swiss Army knife, I'd say like a mini tool kit, so like a mini set of screwdrivers and. Um, and things like that but yeah I think you guys have covered everything else what about did none of us did none of us give like a, a light source no because, oh like a wind up torch yeah because that oh, feels yeah. like I mean it's all well and good until it's pitch black and you're in the middle of a forest because you've decided to stay off the highway and mm. you know I also I toyed with the idea of matches but they just feel so limited you know like Mm. And then well, some way to start a fire isn't a bad idea. Yeah, 
Mm. I mean, especially like for me here in Canada, where half the year it's below zero. Right. That's that's an important uh, it's an important consideration. Well, we're near, we're nearing the end of this. Just a couple more things, and this is I've just got a new category, and I'm springing this on everybody, right? Because the apocalypse has happened. It's gone forward a little bit in time. We've settled into our lifestyle and the world's basically, we all know this is going to happen, has been, has devolved into little dominions of warlords, right? So my question to you is, what skill do you have? What makes you useful to the local Hell's Agent, agent Hell's Angel warlord that's taken over the local shopping mall? How do you stop them from just killing you outright? How, you know, what's your useful thing? And I'm going to tell you, for me and Gavin, we figured this out. I can, you know, I had an allotment for years. I can grow food. I can cook food. Um, I'm really good at that. Gavin, he's a leather worker. You know, we can make them new duds and threads. And between the two of us, you know, we'd be important people to have around. They're going to eat well. They, we can grow medicines. We can make sure that their, their clothes are good and we can make new stuff, right? So we're useful people in society. Bernice. I just, I write really crisp, clear content. Um, optimized for, for search engines um, and my grammar is, is on point uh, <laughs> uh, I guess probably the, the, the best sort of practical skills I have would be like you Dennis cooking not great at growing things though tend to just kill things um, but I, I can cook um, okay. so that would be I, I'd probably lead with that um, Dan so every warlord or every um i don't know what you what you call those uh, sections of society need a jester they need amusement <laughs> so i'd be there to just make them laugh so in your go bag do you have a hat with bells on it please <laughs> absolutely i'm going to i'm going to make curly slippers i'm going to make them laugh through the apocalypse get them through it Okay. Do you know what? That's that's a good angle, you know? Put on a show. You'd be like, uh, you know, little rosy cheeks, meet the gang because the boys are here. <laughs> exactly. Full cabaret and everything. Yeah. Uh, Imran, what about you? How do you make yourself useful to the well, world? Well, frighteningly, Benice, the first thing I thought of was my fairly proficient use of the Oxford serial comma. And um, <laughs> I love the Oxford serial comma. Yeah, and I, like that was the first thing I thought of. And then you said your your grasp of, of grammar and punctuation. So I'm, yeah. So I I think you might bump me, but you um, might have to fight for um, it. You might have to. I can imagine the punctuation off. Um, but um, I I would I'm going to take the, that angle as well. But I'm also I'm going to not hijack Dan's idea completely. I'm not petition. I'm not um, shooting for Jester. Um, but as as somebody with no discernible skills or, or real talent in any way, I think I would be that guy that just to the warlord, like, hey, you are crushing this. Yeah. But like, are you sure? I'm not really, I, they, I'm, I'm losing, they're losing faith that, in me. And I'm like, no, no, no. You'd be the hype man. Yes, that, that's it. You'd be the sniveling sycophant. Not someone sniveling. <laughs> Yeah. The guy, what's the guy in Lord of the Rings who whispers worm tongue? What, yes. Grimmer worm tongue or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah, but more, more, you know, like, not as, as, like, to everyone's detriment, but it would be, like, just like, hey, you know, if, if you're doubting yourself, hey, I think you're doing great. And I'm like, you the people are losing faith in me. Exactly. <laughs> life like, coach, Imran the life yeah. coach. I love yes. it. Yeah. So you'd be like, you'd be whispering in the warlord's ear, like, yeah, 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 that Dan, he's a good jester, but he'd make a way better prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say way better meal. <laughs> He'd make a way better meal. Yes, he would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to end with, um, I mentioned earlier there there was a Netflix movie over the, during the pandemic called Don't Look Up, and it deals with an asteroid coming to earth and one of the things that i found quite very fascinating about this uh, and of course it's fiction but it, it sort of mirrored what was going on in the world at the time was the outright denial people had for what was in front of them until it was too late like and, and even when it was too late it was still outright denial um and it just led then this is what led me to thinking would we even survive would people be so concerned with their here and now 
that they wouldn't even think about it until it's too late. And, and the last question has always been, do you think we will survive based on everything we've seen every, you know, in the last few years? Do you think we will survive the inevitable oncoming zombie apocalypse? Bernice? I think a small number of humans would survive, yes. Yeah. Um, but I think most of us wouldn't. And it, I, I hate to do it to you guys, but it brings me back to my original point with back 10 years ago when we recorded, um, which was that when speculating about how you'd survive the zombie apocalypse, we often focus on skills and abilities that we don't actually have. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think at the time I gave the example of, I was like, oh, I would take a dirt bike and ride out of London. And it's like, you don't know how to ride a dirt bike, Benice. And it's like, I'd use a sawn-off shotgun to defend myself. You don't know how to use a sawn-off shotgun, Benice. You know, and I think I think that can extend to lots of other things too. Like, I have almost no first aid skills, like beyond the absolute basics. Um, and I, yep. I think a lot of us would find that we were coming up short on and I think embarrassingly, many of us might die from not non-zombie related things. Um, you know. Yeah, you do you think overall we'd survive a small group? I think a small would group that, would. Yeah. Would that small group happen to be the island of New Zealand where you're from? <laughs> might that, be, yeah. Uh, but that's only because they would just shut their borders straight away, like they did during the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, thank Which you. Which is the most sensible thing to do, you know. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Goodbye. Um, Imran, will we survive? Um, we with the four of us, I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, the human race, yeah, so, like civilization. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I think it would get down with with lose a significant amount of uh, uh, the sort of the proverbial like global society. But I, I think there will be sort of fairly uh, stringent and strict kind of pockets of of groups who who will be able to sort of mobilize themselves into an incredible array of efficient and um uh way of 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 keeping themselves alive they'll have water filtration devices to homemade windmills that will (laughs) make their bread and things like that and i think it'll be a case of um there won't be a place for the people who can barely get by so i will okay i won't make it ultimately so you won't make it but you have hope for the rest of the world uh yeah and on a much smaller scale okay dan um so yeah i mean it's interesting in america there's whole gangs or groups or almost like cult groups of people who are, who are preppers so it feels like there's a lot of people that are embracing survival uh regardless it's not even necessarily about the zombie apocalypse any apocalypse whether it be a, a nuclear war or a civil war so it feels to me that there's been so much media about different apocalyptic events or different things that could happen, and especially with COVID, that there's going to be more people out there planning for this than we probably give credit. So I think there are going to be people that uh, have really, really thought about this, possibly like us, but a, a bit more hardcore about it, who will survive, as well as I think... There's a lot of countries. It's going to probably flip the world on its head. Some of the some of the more third world countries, some of the more remote countries, you know, the poorer countries. Obviously, New Zealand's one of those. Um, would um, I'm joking? I'm joking. joking. Um, would potentially survive and thrive, whereas the big capitalist populations will die quickly. Okay, I, I'm gonna sort of, sort of agree with you, Dan, but just the opposite way around. I think the rich will survive and everyone the else poor will die. die. Oh God! Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, and I plan to be hanging out with the rich. Are you, you know, seeing a, sort of an Elysium-like scenario where the rich yeah. just launch themselves yeah. off into space to the air? Pretty much, that's, that's yeah. what I see. So, well, so that kind of brings us to the end of our recap of um, of how we would survive a zombie apocalypse. Next up. In the next time on Liberation Revisited, we are going to be talking about the rise of the machines, which was our other very, very interesting survival guide. And as a as a really good segue from this to that, while we've been sitting here, I have asked our favorite AI, ChatGPT, which the whole world has gone bonkers about, for tips on, on, on surviving the zombie apocalypse. And ChatGPT has given me 
from an AI's point of view, eight tips for sites for surviving the zombie apocalypse. I'm not going to read them in four because they're quite long. Maybe I'll put them in with the show notes. And it is simply this. One, stay informed. Two, stock up on supplies. Three, secure your shelter. Four, be mobile, if possible. Five, form alliances. Six, stay fit and healthy. Seven, stay focused and adaptable. And eight, stay calm. And this is why the machines will outlive us, because we didn't cover most of those. (laughs) (laughs) So, and with that, thank you very much for joining us on the Liberation Revisited Frequency, or whatever we're calling it. I haven't quite decided yet. Um, It's a goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. Bernice. Bye. And Flibbidbidbid. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And it's goodbye from me, or as we say here in French-speaking Canada, au revoir.